Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I want us to look at Psalms chapter 17, beginning in verse 13. It's going to be the the foundational uh, scripture to get us going in the direction of this pilgrimage that God wants to take us on this morning through His Word regarding relationships, marriage, singleness, sexuality. And, uh, you know, Heather mentioned yesterday that uh, she had an awkward moment. Her father came to uh, for the first time to one of her shows, and uh, she had to deliver some, you know, female uh, humor and topics with the father there where, well, I'm getting it right back this morning because I'm honored to have my mother, my her one of her best friends, Tammy, here on the second row. And, uh, and it's like I hear that song in the background, but let's talk about sex, baby. And I'm like, no, let's know my mother is right here. And nevertheless, it's where we find ourselves today. So Psalm 17 and verse 13. Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with your hand from men, O Lord, from men, men there is not just men, male, it's mankind, of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. David says, though, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I want to teach a message, primarily teach today, titled Foundation for What Should Be. Foundation for What Should Be. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you're an amazing, perfect Father that has perfect love that seeks to drive out all negative fear in our life. And Lord, I pray in that process people would know that this is a safe place, it's a safe community to let your word work to let your power be experienced in them, to grow them into the image of Jesus Christ, that they would live fully pleasing to you, O King. Holy Spirit, make much of Jesus today. I yield myself to you, precious comforter. You're my sufficiency. Confirm your word with signs and wonders, and we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we can talk about a lot of things in life. We can talk about many subjects in life. But when we talk about foundations or foundational things as followers of Jesus Christ, it is wise to accept that we must start with God. We must start with theological truths. We must start with biblical truths. We must start with the revelation of what God has said And it is unwise to start with us and our experience. 
In fact, so many of us arrive at wrong conclusions because we start thinking about subjects from our experience instead of starting to think about them from God's viewpoint, from God's Word. I want to take you through what I believe is an organized theological foundation regarding marriage, regarding sexuality, regarding singleness that has helped me and I believe will help you as well. We're going to look today at five things, Lord willing, and they all start with the C. The first being when you think about marriage, when you think about singleness, when you think about sexuality, the first C, number one, is Christ-centered. When you go to the book of beginnings, Genesis, which just means the book of beginnings in Genesis 1 and 26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let male, now again, make man there as he's not talking about males, he's talking about mankind. Let them, the plural, have dominion over the fish of the sea. Women, there's the first thing for you is that God didn't create you to be ruled over. You were created, women, to rule beside males. Mean that God has places of leadership and empowerment for women in His kingdom. It said He created them to have dominion. Over what? The fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then God blessed them, Adam and Eve, male and female, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, here's what you need to understand. The let them have dominion over, the let them be fruitful and multiply, the let them fill the earth with my image and subdue it. Listen, it was all for the purpose of the kingdom of God. Which means in the beginning, the purpose of marriage, the foundation for the reason for marriage was the purpose of the kingdom of God on the earth. In the beginning, not only was the purpose of marriage for the extension and the advancement of the kingdom of God, but the primary motivation for marriage was for the purpose of God's kingdom. When Adam and Eve was joined in marriage, their marriage began with the right center, with right motivation, and with the right focus. Now, I have to be honest with you up front today that this is, in preparation, been one of the most difficult messages preparing because a lot of this... I'm still in process learning. The majority of things I preach from the pulpit primarily is already things that I've processed. It's already things that I feel that I'm living out consistently. But this message, I've never really spent time, even though I've done premarital counseling, I've never really started with just getting some clear foundational points regarding marriage and singleness. And as I was going through it, I was convicted just time and time and time again of how different God's foundation is regarding marriage and singleness and sexuality versus where I started. I'm going on 16 years, by the way. Three kids. And I say all that up front because I want to leave you today at the end where you're begging 
for two weeks to come to get the conclusion of what I start today. Meaning today is about the standard. And as the standard is proclaimed, the standard should reveal to all of us that we are very needy for grace and mercy. Why is that important? Because people that don't see themselves in the light of God's standard never seek to encounter God's mercy and grace. So you say, I'm worried, I want a grace message. Well, this is it. It's just the start of it. But God gives more grace to the humble. And humility starts with seeing things in the light of His countenance, His glory, not our own. Amen. So let's buckle up. Let's keep going. This means his marriage in the beginning was Christ-centered. Adam and Eve's marriage was about Christ. It was about God's glory. It was about God's honor. It was about God's kingdom purpose and their role within God's purpose. But after sin entered the world, after the fall, the institution of marriage continued. However, now people were able to begin a marriage, start a marriage with the wrong center, the wrong focus, and the wrong motivation. God created marriage, and marriage was to continue, but after sin, people were able to enter marriage for any purpose. Wrong foundations, wrong beginning points, wrong motives. This brings us to what we read in the beginning where David says in Psalm 17, 13, Arise, O Lord. Confront him, cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked. Some of you say, yes, amen. Come on, Lord, deliver me. But then you keep reading. Because at first I was like, yes, Lord, deliver me. And then I kept reading. I said, oh, dear Lord. Because he says, with your hand from people, from people of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with hidden treasure, they're satisfied with children. And they leave the rest of their possession for their babes. But David says, as for me, he draws a contrast contrast between the people of the world, himself, and those who have set their heart on a pilgrimage of following Jesus Christ, living for the glory of another. He says, I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. From the wicked? I'm thinking murderers. I'm thinking thieves. I'm thinking those that are vile persons. And David says, no, no, the wicked from people of the world who's just satisfied with children. Satisfied leaving their possessions for the next generation. And here's what hit me. Dear God, OMG. Is David praying a prayer during his lifetime to be delivered from people like myself today? I call them American dream people. Though it's not just an American issue. But people who are working hard to provide for their spouse and for their kids. People that are primarily focused in life to work hard to make the life of their children and their grandchildren better. And David calls them people of the world. People who have their portion in this life. It so struck my heart because on the surface it sounds like so many so-called followers of Christ that I know. 
whose main weekly pursuits and year in and year out pursuit and focus is to just work hard, to provide for their spouse and provide for their children. And David says, wait a minute, these are people that are wicked. That's a strong word, by the way. And I thought, how, David, how God are you calling these people wicked? And here's why. Because people whose marriage and who have children just for their self, it's all centered on self. And the Bible is clear that when you get self as the foundation, you'll find every evil thing there. James 3 says, you want to find demonic activity? You want to find every evil thing? You want to find the wisdom of the world? You find it when there's a foundation of selfishness. This is Jesus. This is Scripture. This is Bible. This is the standard. This is the clarity in the light of God. But David, in contrast, says, no. You know, I'm going to be satisfied when I awaken his likeness. David understood because he was one who sought the Lord that marriage and kids are not for self. They're for Christ and for His glory. See, marriage is a great tool in conforming you into the likeness of Christ. But if you don't want to be conformed to the likeness of Christ as a believer, marriage is not a good option for you. (laughs) You know, Old Testament, we read verses that go over our head like, Moab is your wash pot, O God. What it's saying is like God used nations in Moab to wash His people from impurities of being like other people in the world. Well, New Testament translation, Chad's version, Michelle is my wash pot. Marriage is a great tool if you want to be washed of self-centeredness, of being unmerciful, of being unforgiving, lacking compassion. But if you're not seeking and satisfied when you're being conformed to Christ, marriage is not a great, great option. David says, listen, I'm seeking the purpose of God. I'm seeking your kingdom. Therefore, I'm satisfied when I awake in your likeness. It's interesting. The one story, all of us that's familiar with Scripture that we know about David, Bathsheba. It's interesting that that failure came when the pursuit of God's kingdom for his life took a back seat. And Scripture says he was at home instead of at war. Here's what it means. When self moves into the center, when self moved into the center of his life, failure happened. Because here's the default for all of us. If we're not seeking first the kingdom, then by default, we are seeking first selfish desires. And I asked myself, I said, what about you, Chad? I asked us today, what about us? I asked you today, what about you? Because David calls people that just seek marriage, that just seek 
having children, not for the main purpose of being conformed to the likeness of Christ and not for the main purpose of extending the kingdom of God upon the earth. He calls them wicked, worldly, and selfish people. In James 3, 15 and 16, you can read it, you can write it down. He says, you want to know what demonic wisdom is? It's where you find self-seeking and there you'll find every evil thing. Listen, this is why so many marriages break down. Listen, marriage is already hard enough. Not just marriage, relationships with people. Because you can't be in any relationship with another person who is exactly like you. That means there's always going to be moments of tension. There's always going to be moments of seeing things from a different angle. You have different personalities, different viewpoints. It's difficult. How much more difficult is it when every evil thing is there? When you have selfishness as the whole reason of why we got married. Selfishness for we want children. You find every evil thing there. How in the world, how difficult is it to survive in marriage and life when you're in a context where there's every evil thing? You're fighting devils and affliction and attacks daily. This is why it breaks down. For unbelievers and believers, listen, self has no distinguishing factor between believer and unbeliever. Self is self. Can I hear an amen? I think about me, I was... 21 years old when Michelle and I got married. She was 20. And within a couple of years, we're not just newly married, and she moved from being around her family that she was very close to and moved to my hometown. And then with a matter of years, we were sent out to plant a church in the Philippines. And I can't remember all the details. I can't even remember the specifics. But I know because I've had moments like this with the Lord, and I, I know this moment in my marriage that it came to a, a point. It became so clear in the Philippines where God brought it to a point of how much wrong motivation I had in marrying my wife. And I was experiencing a lot of self, and if you experience a lot of self, that means you're experiencing a lot of demonic activity, fighting and focused on self and me, and I'll never forget the moment where a change of heart happened. Where though I entered into marriage for me, I had to surrender and die to that reality that marriage is not for me. It's for Him. See, that surrender, that death is not just for relationships and marriage. It's for every issue in our life. But it's got to happen in our marriage if we don't want to continue to experience a context where every evil thing exists because it's a foundation of self-centeredness, foundation of self-seeking. Pastor Craig mentioned beautifully last week how marriage is just an earthly example that is to, to point to the mystery of Christ and His church. You want to think about one of the views on a purpose of marriage? The Bible says it's a picture of Christ and His church, meaning marriage is for evangelism. 
Marriage is about revealing the glory of Christ. Marriage is not about revealing my glory and for me, it's for evangelism. I didn't enter marriage that way and maybe you didn't enter marriage that way and we're going to talk about in two weeks what to do. But we can't experience transformation until we hear the clear foundation of why marriage even exists. And there's hope for you at the end. But you got to be cut down <laughs> to then shoot up again. See, you think about children. We hear our language so often about children, my children. We see marriage and children so much of the context about self and our wants and our wishes. But you know what the Bible, one of the ways it presents children is they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. A warrior for God's purpose in God's kingdom. They're like arrows in the hand of a person who wants to live for the glory of Christ and extend the kingdom of God. That's why children are given. To extend the kingdom of God. So when it comes to marriage, when it comes to children, if you don't want to have a hard road, a rocky road, a road where you eat the fruit of selfishness and demonic activity and where every evil thing begins to come, you got to surround marriage and children with the perspective of God's foundational purpose for them to be an extension of the kingdom of God. Christ-centered. Someone say Christ-centered. See, God's kingdom purpose regarding marriage has not changed. It's to be Christ-centered. But there's also another possible additional reason for a kingdom marriage. It's number two, concession. When you follow the theme of marriage and you come to Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 7.1, he says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Some guys are like, oh, dear God. Oh, I'm a little late on that one. What is going on here? Well, first, obviously, Paul had been asked, the Corinthians had been writing Paul, and they're asking questions regarding sexuality, regarding marriage, regarding singleness, and so on, about relationships. So he writes back, and he says, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. The question, though, is why is that good? Why is it good... For a man not to touch a woman. Well, as a man, can I tell you why? Because once touched, you want to touch more. Once I touched my wife, there was no turning back. I wanted to touch more. And why is that not a good thing? I'll tell you why. Because the result is more of your focus, more of your time, more of your drive, more of your passion will be devoted to seeking how can I touch her more. I mean, literally... I have all kinds of different reading and, and sitting places in our, our property and our home, and I'll spend time just looking around the corner, strategizing, how can I touch her more? <laughs> Especially in the summer. I mean, you think being single and, and wanting to marry a girl is torment? How about being married and then you're working from home and you come out to get lunch, and in the summer your wife's walking around like, hello, and I'm like, how can I touch her more? I mean, I'm strategizing. A lot of energy goes into it. So maybe what else Paul says about why it's not good for a man to touch a woman? 
will help us understand more. He continues on in 1 Corinthians 7 and 32. Notice what it says. But I want you to be without care. He who's unmarried carries for the things of the Lord. How he may please the Lord. He goes on in verse 34. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman, that's interesting, isn't it? Scripture equates being unmarried with being a virgin. Why is that important? It shows that sex outside of marriage is considered by God as sin. Doesn't matter what culture says. If you want to know what God says, if you want to know what your Creator says, if you want to know the standard we're going to be held to when we stand before our Creator, this is the standard. Sexual activity outside of marriage is a sin. It's missing the mark. God didn't create you for that. He continues on, The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit. Notice that. Profit. The standard is for our profit. The standard might be hard. The standard might be high. But it's for our profit because God knows how he created life to work. He knows how he created singleness and marriage and relationships to work. Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. So why is it good for a man not to touch a woman? Because they'll have less cares of this world, and because they have less cares of this world, they can have more care for the things of the Lord. Why is it for a a woman okay to celebrate singleness and to not get married? Because she'll have less care. And if she has less care, she can have more care on extending his kingdom and living for Christ's glory. Says the single person, their soul's primary focus is about being holy in body and in spirit. Their mind, will, and emotion is consumed about how they can use their spirit and their body to extend the glory of Christ and minister his life to others. That they can serve the Lord without distraction. So this is why Paul says it's good not to touch a woman so that their sole focus is on God's eternal purpose of extending the kingdom and manifesting Christ. Paul continues on. Some of you are saying, thank God. Come on, Paul. Get past that point. Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians 7, 2. After saying it is good for a man not to touch a woman, he says, nevertheless. Some of you are thinking, Phew. Your hands were burning until the nevertheless. Husbands are like, oh, no, because there's no turning back, husband, if you're married. But he says, nevertheless, nevertheless what? Because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. This is concession. Why is there concession then? Paul says there's concession, though it's great for people to stay single, so that their sole focus can be about the Lord's work and the Lord's care and the Lord's kingdom and that pleasing Him. But there is a nevertheless, there is a concession for marriage. But why? Because of sexual immorality. Okay, but we have to keep going deeper. Why because of sexual immorality? Because listen, sexual immorality disqualifies you as a follower of Christ from running your kingdom race and fulfilling your kingdom assignment. This is why there's the concession and the option of marriage now. 
because of sexual immorality. Why is sexual immorality so big? Because sexual immorality disqualifies you of being in a posture to stir up your spiritual gift and impart life and the authority of Christ and minister life to people that are hurting and broken and deceived and in bondage in the world around us. So marriage is given to deal with this issue of sexual immorality. Notice he says, each man his own wife and each woman her own husband, meaning anything else other than each man having his own wife and each woman having her, her own husband. Anything else is still sin scripturally. You see that? See, Paul says her sexual immorality, that means there's sin regarding sexuality, but there's a concession on how to overcome that temptation and that type of sin, and that's by one man being married to one woman or one woman being married to one man, meaning anything else still falls in the category of sexual immorality. You getting what I'm saying? That's what Paul says. Now notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. It's an important thing we teach in growth phases. You've got to understand, you're not your body. You live in that body, but you're not just your body. You're a spirit made in the image of God that lives in that body. You have mind, will, and emotions. You have a soul. Paul says, I, my spirit, my inner man, disciplines my body and bring it into subjection. At least when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Disqualified from what? From his kingdom purpose. See, if you're a born-again believer, you've got to be understanding God has a specific assignment for you in his kingdom. You have great value that he's deposited on the inside of you. There is a great calling on your life. He has the Holy Spirit and empowerment for you to extend the kingdom of God. But sexual immorality disqualifies you from being able to run that race and extend the kingdom of God and walk in a purpose that will cause your joy to come to the full. But see, Paul, on the other hand, was able to discipline his body and bring it into subjection in such a way that he did not need to get married out of concession. He did not need to get married because he was struggling with the desire, sexual passion, and, and the desire of being tempted with sexual immorality. He wasn't struggling with that. Therefore, he didn't need to get married. Some scholars believe that he was married and his wife left him once he gave his life to Christ. But in Christ, he, he didn't find a need for it. He lived single to his martyrdom. See, listen. Here's a moment of confession about my concession. I was not able to reach such a discipline and subjection of my body like Paul. Therefore, for the betterment of the Lord's kingdom and because of his purpose on my life, I must accept I conceded to marriage because marriage is provided for the source, if you have strong sexual passion to be fulfilled, but you also still stay qualified to be used of the Lord. I concede I couldn't live single because I had strong sexual passion and urges. But fulfilling them in singleness is sin. Fulfilling them in holy matrimony is a beautiful thing God has given us. So here, single people, you need to hear this. Because I want the single folk and single people in this community to come into marriage with a clear foundation. 
I want the lies that if you're single, you're less than to be broken. Paul actually says, hey, Chad, you didn't have the gift or grace or the ability to do what I was able to do, live solely for the kingdom, solely focused on Christ's glory, live solely to please the Lord, and now you had to concede to get married so you'd stay qualified to be able to please the Lord just in another way of his kingdom assignment. Are you with me? What I'm saying is single people who live pure are able to extend the kingdom more. They can give more energy to it, more focus to it. Amen. I'm telling, if now you're living single and living in sexual immorality, then we got to keep going. <laughs> but if you're, you're single and pure, listen, you're at the top of the bar. You're not less than me. Paul says you're actually more than me in the sense of being able to focus on the kingdom. I want some single people to know it's okay. You shouldn't be looked down upon. You should be applauded if you're running your race single and able to stay focused and not fall into sin and and just solely live to please the Lord. You're the one we should be celebrating single, pure people in Christ today. You hearing what I'm saying? I want to tell you that it's okay. We hold you in high esteem like Scripture says. But me, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I confess that I conceded that I burned with a lot of passion when I got married. Here's what it means. If we can't as a single keep our body subject to our inner man for the Lord's purpose, then marriage is provided by God to serve that purpose so that we can still fulfill His kingdom purpose through us. I'm going to say it again. If we can't as a, as a single keep our body subject to our inner man for the Lord's purpose, then marriage is provided by God to serve that purpose so that we can still fulfill His kingdom purpose through us. Here's what it means. If I cannot exercise self-control and still burn with sexual passion, then marriage has been provided by the Lord to help with this need. Are you with me? No one's with me? See, Paul sees it related to self-control. Here's also what it means, single person. You cannot fulfill sexual passion alone. That would be sin. You say, well, I'm just going to stay single so I don't have to deal with the other cares of marriage, the other thoughts of how to please my wife that the Lord then requires and asks of us once we enter into marriage. I'm just going to please myself single. No, no, no. Because sexual passion, if you have it that strong, you can't fulfill it. Just you and yourself in your room, in your bed, or wherever you're at, that's sin. Why? Because it's self. You'll find every wicked thing there. Now to the married, to myself who am married, here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, 5, Now that I'm married, do not deprive one another except for consent for a time, that you may give yourself to fasting and to prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul says, hey, since you got married out of concession, due to a lack of self-control regarding sexual desires, then don't put yourself back into that position again unless it's for mutual consent for prayer and fasting. Simply put, married folk, have a lot of sex with your spouse. That's simply put. That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you can see that you couldn't live for God's glory just single. 
So you got married so that you still could fulfill your kingdom assignment and use one of the methods God has designed to deal with that sexual passion, your spouse. So now that you're married, hello, because you had sexual passion, don't go without fulfilling that sexual passion with your spouse. Simply put, yes, dwelling place, married people, simply put, have a lot of sex. Help affair-proof your marriage. Man, the week my wife needed to be here. The devil is a lie. I hope she's streaming. May the Lord touch her. He's going to touch you through me, baby. That's what the scripture says. That's what Paul says. Listen, you think I'm joking. Look at the look what he says, 1 Corinthians 7 11. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. Oh, let's go read that at some marches. I mean, you want to see Jesus quickly, just get on the, the wrong podium in the wrong march. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Husband, now that you are married, your wife has authority in the Lord to use your body as a way to help her with her sexual passion so that she can continue fulfilling her kingdom assignment. That's what Paul's saying. Wife, now that you are married, your husband has authority in the Lord to use your body as a way to help him with his sexual passion so that he can continue fulfilling his kingdom assignment. I go up to Michelle, I said, baby, I have an itch. I need to scratch it. She's like, well, just scratch it. I said, no, no, no. Your body is now my body. And the itch just keeps moving. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you got to understand concession. You came to, you, you got married so you could have sex. To deal with sexual passion, that's what he's saying. Because when you're single, you can't have sex and it not be sin. Now that you're married, you came together for sex. I mean, I, I tell, I look her in the eyes and say, baby, I'm just trying to help the kingdom advance. Come over here. Listen, guys, the reason some of your wives won't believe that line is because they never see you working with the Lord and advancing His kingdom. See, it helps me because my wife knows. I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to stay pure so I can keep moving forward for the glory of Christ. But here's the deal. Culture says, what's culture's mantra? It's my body. It's my body. Now notice, notice where that foundation of selfishness leads to. It leads to innocent babies being murdered by the billions. You think that? You think James 3 is right? That where selfishness exists? leads to all kinds of every evil thing and demonic wisdom. It's our culture. But you know what the culture is in the kingdom of God? You know what a kingdom marriage is? It's not my body. And that's true for every follower of Christ. That's why Paul says, present your body a living sacrifice. But for us that are in marriage, it's true in the sense that we've been given in marriage to guard our spouse from sexual immorality. But here's the deal. It's also to be given with affection. 
It's not just a physical thing to be given. It's to be given with affection. There's, it's to come out of being affectionate with one another. It's to come out of joy and emotion and a want to, not a sense of obligation. When you see a breakdown, and I don't have time to get into all the examples, I'm just setting the standard of what Scripture says. But when you get into the break, breakdowns of what we're talking about, what you'll find is, is somewhere there's either a lack of affection being given or a lack of the body being given. He says, no, it's not my body, but my body's to be given to my spouse with affection. Not a want, not an obligation, but a want to. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 13. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now watch this. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Did you see that? Our body was not created for sexual immorality. Our body was created for the Lord. There it goes again. Why do we exist? We don't exist for our own glory and our own kingdom. We exist for God's glory and God's kingdom. And our body is designed in a way for the Lord. You know who the Lord is? He says in 2 Corinthians 3, the Holy Spirit. Our body is designed and created by God to be able to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So the body is for the Lord. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is for the body. Why? There's not to be sexual immorality. So now that we're married, listen, our body is still for the Lord. But now my body is presented to the Lord to help my wife stay free from temptations and snares and sexual immorality. The Lord works through me, this vessel and this body, to serve that need in my spouse. And it's to be vice versa. Why? Because if sexual immorality enters in, we're not in a posture for the gift to be stirred up and to advance his kingdom. Are you with me? So here's the deal. Surrendered bodies that are given in affection is what Paul says. Husbands, have you conceded? Wives, have you conceded? See, this is why it's evangelism. There's to be such a relational connectivity. See, now that I'm in Christ, you know what the Bible says? My life's not my own. My life is now him. My life's about his glory. We're to show the world that in surrendering of ourselves, we actually find fulfillment in the surrender. In the surrender. Now, some of you are saying, well, what about that alone thing? Genesis 2.18. Well, let's go there. Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So Christ-centered, there's concession, and then comparable. First, we must understand that the context for man should not be alone, the context is that it was not good for Adam to be alone because of the purpose of the kingdom of God being extended on the earth and exercising dominion over all things on the earth. Listen, that's a lot of work. Do you think extending the kingdom... Have you looked at our earth lately? Have you looked at how many nations and how big it is and how many animals there are and... And yet we were given to rule over all that for the glory of God, to extend the kingdom. Someone say, that's a lot of work. And because it's a lot of work, God didn't want Adam to do it by himself. So he made a helper comparable to him. A helper comparable to him. Someone that could help him in extending the kingdom of God over animals over all things on the earth because animals were not on the same level as Adam. This is why, again, bestiality is a sin. Listen to me. Because we are created to rule over animals. 
Animals are not on our same level. So God gave Adam, Eve, a mate that was comparable to him that could extend dominion and the rule of God over animals and things on the earth. See, when we think about sexuality, we humans, we oftentimes we start with, we think pleasure, but our holy God thinks about purpose. When we think about marriage, we think about our pleasure, but our holy God thinks about His purpose. His purpose. And the more we become like Him, it's the same with us. We begin to surround our marriage. We begin to surround our children. We begin to surround our life, not for our own purpose and glory, but for Christ's purpose and glory. And that is the only place you'll find true peace and joy, by the way, and fulfillment. So God makes him this helper to extend the kingdom. See, when Adam and Eve came together, it was coming together for the better. It was a better way to see God's kingdom and purpose accomplished on the earth. This is not why I originally came together. I didn't originally come to to get married to Michelle for the better, the betterment of the kingdom. I came to try to make me feel better. I wanted a wife. I'm burning with passion. I thought she was beautiful. And I didn't read 1 Corinthians 7.1. I wanted to touch her. She was beautiful. But Adam and Eve, when they came together, it was for the betterment of the kingdom. In fact, Paul says when it comes to the church of God, when it comes to relationships, we should always come together for the better. For the betterment of each person fulfilling their kingdom purpose and extending the kingdom of God upon the earth. And notice the helper, Eve, was a comparable to him. See, we think wives in the sense of, yeah, husbands, you know, macho men walking around. Yeah, I need a helpmate. You know, David, I'm a horrible cook, so I need a helpmate. need someone to cook. I sure ain't going to clean. I need a helpmate. Listen, that's, that's, that's low-level help. When he talks about a helpmate, he's talking about someone that comes in your life blessed by God, empowered by God, extending the kingdom of God just like you men. Your wife is a terror to the devil, men. And God wants some godly marriages empowered by a spirit that's advancing the glory of Christ. God's concerned way more than that than just helping with dishes and stuff. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm telling every lady in here, every man in here, that you've got a high calling in Christ. Don't allow just secular in the world try to tell you, oh, just a good little marriage. We don't have just a good little marriage. We're going to have a God-given marriage that hell trembles about. Hell absolutely fears when there is a man and a woman in holy matrimony that exists for the foundation of extending the kingdom of God upon the earth. Oh, what a powerful tool in the hand of God. When you think about compatibility, single people, we think about physical compatibility, Casey, emotional compatibility, and spiritual compatibility. When singles, when you're thinking about marriage, if you've already conceded that singleness and you fulfilling the kingdom calling and purpose for your life is not going to happen by you staying single because you're tempted too much by sexual immorality, you have you burn with too much sexual passion, then when you think about who is the right one, And there's not just only one, by the way. If that was the case, if they died, you can never be remarried. The truth of the matter is there's many people you could marry a single person and have a godly, empowered, Holy Spirit marriage. Like you hear people say, that's my rib. Well, God actually didn't really take your rib out and form that woman. He only did that in the beginning. So when we think about there's all these options, you got to think about compatibility. Physical compatibility, are you physically attracted to them? Emotional compatibility, do you like doing things together? Do you connect mentally and emotionally? But 
then spiritual compatibility. Now listen to me. It's never to be the soulish or the physical compatibility above the spiritual compatibility. That's why 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers or others. You're not to marry someone that's incompatible with you spiritually. It also means for you who are here in your spirit field and you believe in the power of God, single person, you get unequally yoked. You marry a believer that believes there's no gifts of the spirits for today. That's not going to work out. Spiritual compatibility. You know why that's got to be so important? Because the Bible says beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. The undergirding. By statistics, people that ain't even believers, researchers proven that those that have faith as a center component of their marriages, those marriages last longer than those that don't have that as a central important component. You say, well, what, what if I'm married now? I mean, there's no turning back. That's right. That's why you need to come when I get the mic in two weeks because that's what we're going to talk about. How do we begin to transform this ship of marriage if we have a wrong foundation? God's got grace available. He's going to do it. But listen, for you who are married here, you say, what about this compatibility thing? Here's the deal. You know where you are the least compatible with your spouse because it's the area that the devil constantly shouts or whispers in your ear about. It's where he will tempt you. It's where he will attack you the most. The area that you're least compatible with your spouse. It's where he seeks to create dissatisfaction. It's where he seeks to create ungratefulness. It's where he seeks to create unforgiveness and bitterness and temptation. And for singles, this is why getting compatibility when you go into marriage is so important. Because the less compatible two people are, the more the kingdom of God suffers. Because there will have to be more energy and more focus of trusting and depending on the Lord to overcompensate the the in. Help me out. The lack of capacity, incapability in that area with your spouse. It'll lead to more difficulty and more tension. And then this all leads us to contentment. Contentment. When you think about sexuality, when you think about marriage, when you think about singleness, there is this issue of contentment. As a married man, one that's conceded that now for me to fulfill my kingdom purpose, I need a spouse. A spouse, so this sexual passion that God's given me has a way in His in His plan to be fulfilled in a God-honoring way that He's pleased with. So now as a married man, listen, my kingdom work outside my home like this is to flow out of my contentment within the home. And we have believers who's not reached the contentment now of how the kingdom purpose is to extend through you who want to neglect the spouse and the children and the home and want to run out into the world to save all those people. God says, no, no, no. If you conceded and got married, now my kingdom purpose must flow out of you learning contentment in that place of the home. I have to become intent and intentional discipleship and leadership of my spouse and my children. And out of that contentment, I then can intentionally seek to lead, influence, disciple, and mentor people outside of my home. Are you with me? But see, most believers, we don't reach that place of contentment. And yet that's why we see the world continuing to to have more unbelievers because marriage and the home 
and this context becomes an evangelistic tool when we understand now the role that it plays once we have conceded and become married. As a single person, God wants your kingdom work to flow out of, a, of contentment. If you're single and you have a sexual passion and a desire and, and you want to be married and you don't see that God's given you the grace or the ability in your inner man to, to fulfill your kingdom assignment single, then listen, he understands that desire. Be patient. Be patient. Deuteronomy 24 and 5, we see this about contentment. It says, when a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out of war to be charged. With any business, he shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. See, this is where I am an Old Testament believer. In the Old Testament, you got married, you got a year off just to be with your wife. I tried it, it didn't work. The boss said, "Uh uh-uh. I did get favor, though, and get two weeks off, even though I hadn't even been there a year. Praise the Lord. But here's what God's saying. He's saying, listen, once you concede and get married, I want your focus to be on that home, on that spouse, on that marriage, and I want it to be filled with joy. Why? Because Al, do you know what a fruit of contentment is? Joy. I want out of that place of contentment there to be such joy that when you go outside the home to minister to people, you have a different spirit about you. You have one of rest and contentment and joy. See, the world is not going to be attracted to unbelievers that have no joy, have no contentment, and we're running around trying to find fulfillment just as they are. No, no, no. God says, listen, now that you're married, listen to how it works. Listen to how my kingdom advances. Want that home, that marriage to be filled with contentment and joy. Men, you have a great drive. I want you to understand. It don't matter if you reach six figures this year, but there's no contentment in joining your home. There ain't one friend around you you're going to lead to Jesus because now you're making six figures, but you're miserable and always complaining and not content for the state that you are in now in the kingdom of being married. It's the truth. Deuteronomy 20 and 7, he says, What man is there who's betrothed to a woman and has not married? They're about to go into battle. They're about to extend the kingdom of God. And the leader says, Wait a minute. I want to know any of you that's betrothed to a woman. If so, I want you to leave right now. Wait a minute. I'm about God's kingdom purpose. Come on, leader. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to minister. I'm ready to get used my gifts. He's, no, no, no. If you're betrothed to a wife, I want you to go home. Back to that woman. I want you to marry her. Then he keeps on. He says, hey, is there anybody else that's fearful? You're fearful? All right. I want you to go back home. And I want you to go back home until you experience contentment and joy and the perfect love of the Father that drives out that fear. Hey, anybody else? Is there anybody else out there that's faint-hearted? I want him to go back to his house. Here, see, listen to me. When it comes to outside kingdom advancement, when it comes to outside kingdom advancement, it is to flow out of a healthy marriage and a healthy home and a healthy heart. Listen, so many people are out there trying to do for God because they fear. They fear, oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not led enough people to Christ. I'm not done enough ministry. Listen, no, no, no. We're not to do outside kingdom work out of fear, out of faint-heartedness, out of a lack of contentment. It's to flow out of contentment. 
out of rejoicing with the wife of our youth. It's not, kingdom works not to come by unhealthy compulsion of fear and faint-hearted and got to make things happen. No, 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 that's worldly wisdom. Rejoice. Learn to be content to the state that we are in regarding serving the Lord. It's important because he says, listen, biblical leadership, 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 5. He says, how can one lead well in the church, in the community of God's people, if he's not learned to lead his own house well, having his children submitted to God's purpose and reverence? See, me finding contentment in discipling my children and leading and loving my spouse, listen, that becomes a louder evangelism that I could ever go and get a microphone and tell people about Jesus if it wasn't coming out of that place of contentment. Because listen to me, the kingdom of God is not words only, it's the spirit we bring with us. And and darkness... Unrest can't cast out unrest in other people. But when your ministry to people on the outside is flowing out of contentment and joy from the inside of your heart and the inside of your home, listen, it can cast out that unrest. Lack of joy. Lack of peace in unbelievers that are hungry or needing to know the compassion and love of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? That's why Ephesians 6, 4 says, Do you have children? You don't have children for yourself, Chad. You're to bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. I have to concede as a, as a married man and a father of being content of what's happening in my home. Because if not, listen, all this outside that God has put before me will suffer. We think the kingdom will advance. If I neglect that and go preach more, that's not God's ways. And remember what the prophet said. Now, God, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. Did you know that the majority of adulteries and issues, it comes out of a lack of contentment? Hebrews 13, 4 through 5, he says, Listen, let your conduct be without covetousness because fornicators and adulterers God will judge Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Contentment's free from covetousness. That's important for me as a leader. I can look at other churches and other ministers and say, wait a minute, they have a bigger platform. They have bigger influence. They have more followers. They preach to more. Now listen, but when you have contentment in your home, you have contentment in your heart, when you're content with that, it frees you from covetousness. You don't start looking elsewhere. You find the rest in the intimacy with the Spirit of the Lord in the sphere that now you have in His kingdom. Hallelujah. Why does all this matter? I'll tell you why. Because all that I've said, Christ-centered, concession, comparable, compatibility, all of this, it all determines your calling capacity currently. Some of you want to be used by the Lord, but see, currently your capacity is limited because you've not reached a place of contentment. The Lord wants you to be content in Him and the methods and the ways that now in Him you find yourself, whether married or single. Say, begin to sing. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment?
You say, Pastor Chad, at some point, I know the Lord has communicated. He stirred something in me. He's spoken something to me. That's you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know where and in whom the Holy Spirit is moving. If you'll raise your hand up and right back down. Yes, I see those hands. Anyone else? Yes, yes, all around. Maybe you're married. Maybe you have children. According to the scripture, maybe you're just like other people that don't even know the Lord. And yet, you heard today that we're to be different because our marriage and our children don't exist for us. It exists for His kingdom and His glory. And you say, I don't know what all that looks like practically. I don't know how to turn the ship. I don't know how to uproot the foundation. Listen, you don't have to know all that. If you'll just say, Lord, I invite you to start working and bringing your foundation and starting the process of transformation in me. If that's you, also raise your hand up. Let me see. I invite you, Lord, to start the process in my life. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would confirm your word. I pray, Lord, that people would understand that the reason there's a great standard is that there's a great God. And the great standard is here today not to leave us in a place of condemnation and guilt, but to turn us to the great God who's got mercy, who's got grace, who has the power to do the impossible, that He can uproot wrong foundations and lay a right foundation of Christ, that He can transform selfish thoughts and habits and attitudes and bring the character of Christ into our marriage and our parenting into our work. I pray, oh Holy Spirit, the great helper of God, that you would begin to blow in hearts and minds today, that you would do a new and a fresh work in people today. God, you're a God of hope, and we thank you for this. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.